0: Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. I want to welcome you to the Determined Truth Podcast. Uh, This series of podcasts, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Mark. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, I encourage you to do so by downloading the Podbean app on your smartphone and following the Determined Truth Podcast. Mark chapter 11 now takes us to one of the most exciting units in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 11 uh, verses chapters 11 through 15 create actually two parallel units. Chapters 11 and 12 are the first unit, and chapters 14 and 15 is the second unit, with Mark chapter 13 kind of being the link in between the two. Now in Mark chapters 11 and 12, Mark's going to narrate for us the end of the temple. In Mark chapters 14 and 15, he's going to narrate the end of Jesus. Now, we know, of course, Jesus is the new temple, and so these two units are parallel, the end of the temple in Jerusalem and the end of Jesus, with Mark chapter 13 being kind of the key link. All the material in 11 and 12 then focus on the temple, and all the material in chapters 14 and 15 focus on Jesus. And we'll look at this in more detail as as we proceed. Mark chapter 11 begins by noting that as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany, note the two cities, we'll mention them in a minute, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, again, no, not neither one of them are named. And he said to them, go into the village opposite you. And immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, why are you doing, what are you doing, untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem, and he came into the temple, and after looking around, he departed. For Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. I find that last verse to be one of the most obscure verses in the Bible. He went into Jerusalem, he went in the temple, he looked around, and he left. And it's it's like, well, why are you telling us that he goes into Jerusalem and they went in the temple and then he looked around? If you're not going to tell us what he saw, why are you even telling us this? Now, as we look at this particular passage, this this verse will begin to make some sense. First off, we're going to note that Jesus is coming from the east. In the East, in the ancient near world, the East was extremely important. First off, we note that some maps were actually oriented to the East, with East being on the top. All temples in the ancient world faced to the East, in fact, including the temple in Jerusalem. I was in Greece last year, and I noticed that the remains of a lot of the early Christian churches in the 4th and 5th centuries and thereafter, they always faced East. Genesis chapter 2 says that God had planted a garden in the East, in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. But east is also the direction from which God's going to return. According to the book of Ezekiel, when the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians, it says that God left Israel also. God left the temple. God had gone into exile with the people of Israel. And Ezekiel 43 verse 2 says, I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The people of Israel have been waiting for God to return to the land, and when he does so, he'll be coming from the east. Now, verses 2 and 3 tell us that Jesus told the disciples, he sent two disciples whom we don't know who they are, um, and they were at Bethany and Bethpage. We don't know what city they're even coming from. And he said, go into the village, and you're going to enter it. You're going to find a colt tied there in which no one's ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. Now, it seems kind of strange, by the way, because you're basically saying, hey, go steal a colt. There's going to be a colt tied up there and go steal it. Go take it. Now, if anyone says to you, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has need of it. That's the code word or the code phrase. The Lord, repeat that after me. The Lord has need of it. And it says, in fact, that the disciples did just as Jesus had commanded and they untied a colt and the bystanders, verse 5, were standing there saying, why, what are you doing? And the disciples spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. And so the bystanders give them permission. Now, according to the Gospel of Luke, the bystanders weren't bystanders; they were actually the owners of the uh, uh, of of the cult. But it seems to, that Jesus is giving some code and some, and, and the question is why all the secrecy? And I think the answer is because of protection. Jesus knows what's a going, what's about to happen to him, and he's protecting the identity of of, of everybody that's involved. Now. If Jesus is protecting the identity of these individuals and the identity of the, the person who owns the cult, perhaps because maybe Judas is going to tell on Jesus shortly thereafter, and maybe Judas will find out uh, who, whose cult it was and tell on them as well. So Jesus is not letting anybody know, including Judas. But the question is, is why does Mark continue the secrecy? Well you know why does Mark, writing thirty to 35 years later, not tell us what two disciples they were? what cities they came from, Bethpage or Bethany, and who it was who gave them the coal, perhaps because the identity of these individuals still needed to be protected. Now, there may be a sense where Mark doesn't actually even know himself who these individuals were, but it may also be the case that their identity still needed to be protected. If the Gospel of Mark was written in 30 or 35 years after the death of Jesus, which puts it in around the year 60-65 AD, it means that Jews are still in Jerusalem, The Romans don't destroy Jerusalem until the year 70 AD. The war doesn't begin until the year 66. So Mark's gospel may well have been written at a time when these early Christians who were involved in lending Jesus a cult and lending Jesus a house to have his last supper in, they were still alive and their identity needed to be protected. And so it seems that there's secrecy on all fronts. Jesus is protecting this individual so that Judas and the authorities don't know who they actually are. And Mark is continuing the protection of their identity because the Jewish people around at that time of God, the Gospel of Mark still might be a threat to these early early Christians. Luke tells us, of course, as I mentioned a minute ago, that it was the owners. Now, why was Jesus riding on a donkey? Uh, well, the answer is that even though we associate donkeys with beasts of burden and stubborn, etc., kings rode donkeys. Uh, Zechariah 9 says that, uh, uh, that Behold, your king will be coming from Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Uh, it says, Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's Zechariah 9, verse 9. But not only that, but uh, a donkey was also seen as a beast of, uh, as a burden, uh, a beast of uh, peace. Verse 10 says, I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem, and the bow of war, the bow of war will be cut off, and he'll speak peace to the nations. That's Zechariah 9, verses 9 and 10. So the idea of a king riding on a donkey and the idea of him coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey in terms of peace is exactly what we we might actually be expecting. Now verse 8 says that people spread their cloaks on the ground and others spread branches that they had cut in the fields And and covering the path is is a sign of the highest honor. John tells us that they waved palm branches. In John 12, verse 13, they took out palm branches and were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Um, Palm branches were often associated with the oasis and they were symbols of rest uh, and a place of rest and fertility in the midst of the wilderness. Psalm 92, verse 12 and 13 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. Note the the reference here to the temple, though. Not only were palm trees associated with an oasis and rest, and as a result, they were a place of rest and fertility in the middle of the wilderness, but notice that the psalmist also associates it with the courts of our God. They will flourish like the courts of our God. So here, palm trees were related to the temple. In fact, palm trees were actually carved in the walls of the temple and on the olive uh, on, on the two olive doors and elsewhere in, in the Old Testament temple. Now, Mark tells us that those who went ahead were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Psalm 118 is what they're citing here. So, uh, psalm 118 is this great psalm that was sung. Psalms 113 through 118 were sung during some of the Jewish feasts and during Jewish festivals. And they were proclaiming, coming, oh, oh, Hosanna, which means come, O oh Lord, come, O oh Lord, come, coming to the temple. And that's why verse 11 says, He entered Jerusalem. And he came into the temple, and he looked around, and he departed for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Strange, strange verse, though. What's it mean? What's the significance of this? Well, if you recall, the Gospel of Mark opened up with a reference to the book of Malachi. Uh, We noted that the Gospel of Mark chapter 1, verse 1, begins by, was probably a a title of the gospel itself, which makes verses 2 and 3 the opening verse. Uh, and it says, Behold, I'll send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the, the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And we discussed back then that the significance of this passage is primarily the, the citation of the book of Isaiah. Mark says that this is what Isaiah the prophet has, has said, but it's actually a quote from the book of Exodus, the book of Isaiah, and the book of Malachi all put together. Isaiah being the most prominent, so Mark gives, credence, or gives reference to the book of Isaiah. And we mentioned back then that Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which is quoted here, was the beginning of the second part of the book of Isaiah. In the second part of Isaiah, uh, it's, the pro- it's the prophecy of restoration. God's about to bring the exiles back and restore his kingdom and the good news and this great, great proclamation, Behold, the Lord is coming, make straight his paths. But Malachi 3, let me read Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will uh, clear the way before me. Now, that's a reference to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist quotes that verse in, uh, in verse 2 of Mark chapter 1. But let's look at what, Mark, what Malachi 3 goes on to say. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messengers of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You see, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the one who who, uh, who is to come, he's coming to his temple. Mark's readers were alerted in chapter 1 that the Messiah was coming in Jesus by quoting Malachi 3, but we know he's coming to the temple. Now, in Mark's gospel, you may have noticed that Jesus has actually never been to Jerusalem yet. We know from Matthew and Luke and John that Jesus has actually been to Jerusalem perhaps on multiple occasions. But in Mark's gospel, Jesus has never been to Jerusalem. But Mark's readers who were attuned to Malachi chapter 3 know that I'm going to send my messenger, he'll clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. So they were expecting him to come to his temple. So when Mark chapter 11 says he entered Jerusalem and he came into his temple, this is exactly the climactic moment in the gospel of Mark that Mark's readers were waiting for. But then it says, he looked around, and then he departed for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. And this raises for us the question, well, well what did he see? Now we know why Mark tells us this obscure reference as to Jesus coming into Jerusalem and coming into his temple. It's because the readers were expecting this. But what did Jesus see? Why, when he looked around, what happened? And we'll have to pick that up next time. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.